Guys, if you're anything like me, looking at maps has always been a huge part of my preparation and execution for my outdoor adventures. I have been using GoHunt digital maps on desktop and mobile for quite some time now. I have used these maps for years for my in-depth e-scouting tactics and my methods of using offline maps during the hunt. Well, now I'm happy to report GoHunt maps now covers all 50 states. There's two ways to get the GoHunt map. You can sign up for a GoHunt Insider membership and get the benefits of all the draw odds, harvest statistics, unit breakdowns, strategy articles, as well as access to the 50 state maps, plus savings on gear for being an Insider member. Like right now, they're doing double points. For an Insider membership, sign up now at GoHunt.com, use the JScott promo code, and get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. You can also just sign up for a GoHunt Explorer membership, and that gives you access to 50 states for 50 bucks. Use the JScott promo code. Guys, also, don't forget to get a 10% discount on gear at the Go Hunt Gear Shop by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also reach out to my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years, either by phone or by text, 602-399-3699. Make sure you tell him I sent you. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their loyal sponsorship of my podcast. We're over 815 episodes in, and they've been with me for, since the beginning. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast. They provide the gear that I use on all of my hunting adventures. You can go to the Kuyu website directly, kuiu.com, order directly. They're a direct-to-consumer company. Uh, they make the best gear in the in the hunting industry, and I've been a loyal supporter of theirs for years. Also, phonescope.com. Go to phonescope.com. Use the J. Scott or jscott22 promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount at Phonescope. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for, for supporting me. If you have any questions or you'd like to send me a comment, the best way to do that is on my Instagram account, at jscottoutdoors. Again, let's get right to this episode and thanks for your support. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is your guest host, Cliff Gray. Today I have Alan Bowen on the show. Alan is a successful archery hunter. He has killed several species of Boone and Crockett animals with his bow. And it, and it appears to me that Alan is also super successful in the business world. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with Alan. And Alan, please, you know, step in. Is there anything else that you want the audience to know before uh, before we get to chatting here? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I do. I do. I do love business, you know, and I and bow hunting. I, I, you also know I love jujitsu. Um, I kind of I kind of get very obsessive about the few things I do, and I kind of suck at everything else. But I, I I get pretty good at if I choose something, I'm going to put my time into. It, I'm going to I'm going to really um you know go all in and, and try to get good at it yeah and you put it'll... like a, a basketball in my hands or something like that bro it gets ugly like i'm not <laughs> one of those guys that like i'm a jack of many trades that's not me i gotcha clear to me that you could probably you can get a se- obsessed about uh one or two at a time and, and go absolutely go full throttle yeah. um yeah. And uh, in that intro I gave, I, I think it kind of under it underemphasizes Boone and Crockett animals with a bow. And, and I want to make sure that the the audience kind of understands, you know, that distinction. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, a lot of guys that are hunting with hunting with archery equipment, they have the goal of you know animals being Pope and Young trophies, right, to qualify that. And they're not actually you know, shooting for Boone and Crockett trophy animals. And just so yeah. the audience knows, there's like a huge relative difference there. 
um it's Magnum uh, you, difference yeah, yeah it's hard it's hard to do it with a rifle man so i'm i'm very impressed um all the the or the challenge that you've taken on uh with that and uh and i you know i've done a little research on your background followed you on instagram and uh you have an interesting approach to it honestly i don't like how how much you put into each species in the in the length of those hunts um where where did that you know, where did that like in did you did you kind of manifest that goal on your own or or where, where did that come from that that's your goal? Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, when when I I started bow hunting in my early twenties, so whatever, almost twenty five years ago, and and I and I heard about these record books, and I'm I'm a guy that's always been drawn to challenge. Like you know, if sure. I guess they start doing something, I'm like, well, what could make this really hard? How could I measure this? How could I make this like something that I could be really proud of? And so I, I started looking at the record books and I, and I looked at, you know, the Pope and Young record book and I thought, well, this is cool, you know, and, and uh, I'd say, I'd love to kill some Pope and Young animals. And funny enough, um, I, I, I tried for several years to, to shoot a Pope and Young animal. And it was, for some reason back then, it, it was very difficult for me. I, I, I would shoot an animal and it would like net under just like barely and gross over and i just i just couldn't like sure. for some reason i couldn't really get it done those first few years and uh the first pope and young animal i shot was also a boone and crockett animal which okay is a like you were saying is a, you know just last night i'm in oregon right now black tail hunting just last night we were driving three of us and talking about um pope and young and boone and crockett and somebody was asking about american elk and they said well what's what's boone and crockett for american elk and i said i'm pretty sure it's 375 and they're like oh yeah that makes sense and they said well what's pope and young and i said i think it's 265 and they said no it's not 265 <laughs> there is no way there's any record book in the world that would consider a 265 inch elk boone and crockett or excuse me a record and right. um and so uh, i i think it is i haven't looked it up since last yeah, yeah. night but the it, point is, like, bad. the How difference between 265 and 375 is, like, I mean, you're talking a three-year-old bull compared to, like, you know, a seven-year-old with the perfect genetics. And it's, like, they're, they're not even in the same realm, you know. And so, yeah. anyway, as I, you know, so that first first animal I shot that made Pope Young was also a Boone and Crockett. It was a mountain goat, 52 and 68. So it was actually a world record. Um, at the time in 2005 and um and for some reason like you know when i when i got that boone and crockett score sheet done on on that mountain goat i thought why am i thinking about pope and young the way i'm thinking about it i mean i love the pope and young club i'm a i'm a member i'm active yeah, yeah. i go to every convention i freaking love that organization but as far as the record book itself i just something just teed off in me when I got that Boone and Crockett score sheet from that mountain goat and said, this is what I want to do. Like yeah, I want to shoot you. booners with a bow. I mean, it's like, I can't think of anything harder. Like if I want to make my life hard, this is going to like, you know, when I say hard, I mean, I love that. It's enjoyable too. So I started down that road. Way. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear you, man. And and I have to laugh a little bit, uh, Alan, cause I'm, I'm an official scorer for both Pope and Young. And Boone oh, you and are and, nice. And, and I, and I can't remember the scores off the top of my head, so I'm embarrassed to say that. 
but you know, the, what the, you know, what the bars are, but you're right. It's a big, it's a huge difference, man. Yeah. And, uh, and not to take away anyone, you know, shooting elk that no. five, no. with a bow. It's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not near the archery guy that you are, but still killing with the bow in general is just hard. But I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like how you manifested this goal it's it's almost in a way you fell into it, but you realize like, hey man, like thinking into a bigger challenge actually has is appealing to you. So another thing that happened, Cliff, if I could just comment one more yeah. thing, is and again, I don't I don't want to like I want to be careful here to not like you know hurt anybody's feelings or I'm not try, I'm not trying to like the people that are on this quest I'm about to talk about they're. It's freaking awesome. It's an awesome quest. And that's the North American 29 quest. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I, I first looked at that. And when I first started bow hunting, I think maybe only, you know, a few guys, you know, maybe five guys or something had done it. And, um, and it seemed like pretty cool. Like, wow, that would be amazing to bow kill like all 29 North American species. But when I started, so I started down that path. But when I started doing it, I realized that I didn't want to do it that way. Like I didn't want to like go and just shoot an animal to check a box and say I did. Yeah. I want to shoot a giant of that species. So I don't like, and, and I'll never do all, it's, it's impossible like to do all 29. I mean, I the you. way I'm doing it, yeah. you know, maybe... I have eight right now, eight Boone and Crockett species with my bow. Official. I have several in the awards book, which is a, a yeah. I'm talking all time book. I have eight. Yeah. And is and, that, um, that's your, that's kind of your goal is the all time mark. Yeah. All time book. Yeah. yeah. Awards book. I don't really think about too much, but yeah. Yeah. So the all time book and maybe I'll get to 15 before I die. Maybe I'll get to 18. I don't know. Yeah. But the point is like, I've decided I'm not going after the 29. What I'm going after is as many Booner species as I can. And where that ends, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but yeah. to me, like when I when I go and I and I shoot an animal and it's like, you know, whatever, nice average animal, I'm like, I want to go back. I don't feel like I'm done. I want to go back. I want to shoot a giant in this species before I will check the box on a species once I've killed a giant. Yeah. You know, there's so, certain species, you know, you'll like elk and mule deer, for example, excuse me, uh, mule deer and whitetail for me. Like I'll hunt those the rest of my life. No question. I mean, I love, in fact, all deer, if, if I could do like any, any type of hunting, just because I, I like, um, throw, all, throw all goals out the window and just, would you love to hunt the most? It'd be the five species of deer. Yeah. I got you. Like I'm, I'm hunting blacktail right now in Oregon. Oh my gosh. It's so yeah. much fun. I love them. But anyway, yeah. That's, so that's kind of how I got there. Yeah. And I, I got a question and in, in I'll, I'll kind of propose it to you this way. This approach that that you're taking, and we're and we're, we're going to dive into a topic I want to I want to talk to you about here. So what I noticed from you know guiding mule deer hunts or guiding elk hunts, and a lot of my stuff was wilderness stuff. Had you know backpack hunts, horse stuff, all of that. There's if you the reality is is just to kill you know just to kill a big mule deer. At some level, if you got the money to pay for X amount of hunts, you can kill just a big mule deer. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Now, if a guy came to me over the years and says, I want to shoot, you know, a 215-inch typical deer, and I got infinity amount of money, it's like the money doesn't matter at that 
point. No. Now, the, the reason I'm proposing this uh, to you this way, Alan, is that is that part of it for you? Is like you can't you can't buy the you know the like this level of um, I guess accomplishment. Is does that play in at all? I don't want to you know give me your yeah. thoughts on that. No, th- there's there there are probably certain species you can buy. Um, like uh, Boone and Crockett, like there are like, say desert, bighorn and Rocky mountain, bighorn. I believe those, if you have enough money, you can buy them. You go to a spot with big rams. I mean, it's not going to be that hard, Mm -hmm. but there are a pile of species out there that Boone and Crockett cannot be bought. Cannot. Uh, Mule deer being one of them. Mule deer being one of them. Uh, Doll sheep being one of them. Uh, Brown bear being, I mean, grizzly bear, like there's, black bear that these the you just have to have done it you have to go to the right spot and you have to put in a ridiculous amount of time and do everything right and on top of that you got to get lucky yeah yeah sure especially now you're adding the bow into it you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it literally is one of those things that it is it is so like based on doing everything perfectly and being like it's not just being a good hunter, like you need that too, but you need to be a good researcher, a yeah, good yeah. networker, yeah. you know, a good, you need to be good at so many different things to actually make it happen. Right. And, and yeah, it's, it, that turns me on that it, it's like, it's exciting because it's so difficult, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you sure, think sure. about doll sheep, Cliff, there are four Boone and Crockett doll sheep a year killed in the world with every weapon included for a year on average and we're hunting doll sheep in alaska the yukon a tiny bit of bc and northwest territories i don't know exactly how many doll sheep are killed a year but i mean it's got to be thousands of doll sheep a year and then tens of thousands of doll sheep hunters especially if you include alaska and four a year get killed and there have only been two ever killed with a bow like it's like almost like a fool's errand yeah 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 but it, but it kind of cracks me up, Alan, because you're saying all this with like such a such a smile and excitement. <laughs> because the thing is, is like I, I think I mean, a lot of people listen to these type of discussions and they're like, well, this this trophy thing is arbitrary. Like, you know, it's arbitrary that Boone and Crockett says X is the score for a sure. you know, for a dollar. And and it is, but it doesn't matter because it sounds to me like to you, it's not about like holding like X size RAM. It's about like that's the goal. And that's what I want to achieve. Like to me, there's a lot, there's a lot of value in that, you know? So no, uh, it's like, if you look at, okay, just you compare like 168 inch desert sheep to 170 inch doll sheep. Those are the Boone and Crockett minimums. Desert is probably the easiest species of the 29 to kill Boone and Crockett. And doll sheep is probably the most impossible. Yeah, sure. And so, and the, but so I could sit around and complain about that or embrace it and have fun doing it. Or people talk about, oh, all the deductions and stuff on deer. It's just not cool the way they do it. I don't like it. I mean, sure, okay. I mean, I can agree with you, but I, I'm not going to be able to change it. It doesn't matter. The system's been around for a long time, and it's an awesome system that's done so much good. I'm just going to embrace it and play by the rules, figure the rules out, and try to try to be successful. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally get it. And, and I would guess Alan, like this is not to like totally jump subjects. Is this is probably your approach to business too, right? Because it, it, I mean, I I feel that the same. I, I'm like my the way I think my brain works is probably analogous to yours in this regard. It's like, look, we can bitch and whine about all this stuff, but um, 
you better like play along the rules and find some success, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Complaining doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Race it and go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Alan, do you mind? Cause I, cause uh, people are going to wonder because the type of hunting you're doing, it does take some disposable income and, you know, some flexibility in time. What do you, what do you do for a living? Okay. Yeah. So, um, I own a, a com- my primary business. So I, I mean, I, I owned an out- outfitting business for 17 years in British Columbia and that was a really, that was amazing. And, and it was, it was, it was good financially and everything else, but, but my primary business is, um, smart home and solar. So residential smart home and solar. And I have door to door sales guys is our primary means of marketing. Okay. And so we train up, um, young guys to, to build teams and go to different spots across the country and knock on doors and talk to people about making their home smarter and more efficient. Gotcha. So they set appointments and then pe- then a, somebody comes in and does a presentation and, and the, you know, the smart home business is more recurring revenue. So they pay a monthly fee. And so yeah. my, it's a recurring revenue business. And then the solar business is more of a, like we're selling the solar system and it's a one-time transaction. I got you. But so it sounds like you're in the business world where, where you, where you focus on is building sales teams, which is a fairly Absolutely. hard thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Like if somebody, I'm the CEO of the company, but if somebody asked me, what do you do every day? I recruit, train and maintain and retain the best sales people I can possibly find. Yeah. I got you. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring this back to honey, man. Cause I had a, I, I would get this question over the years to this day. I still get it a lot from young people. Um, usually they're young men who they, they're obsessed with hunting. I've had guys that guided for me or whatever. They're obsessed with hunting and really what they're trying to figure out before they have a family and they fall in love and everything else in their mind, they're trying to figure out how to find a path in life where they can hunt a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you what I think, and I want you to disagree with it, Alan, or, or, or whatever. I think there's a couple paths you can take. Some of them are more obvious than others. You know, a lot of guys, and to some extent, it's, it's the path I took kind of the second step of my life. But a lot of guys, you know, they'll get into the hunting business because they think it's a good way to hunt a lot. Um, I, I actually don't think, I don't think it is personally, right? I, you know, reflecting on my career doing it for 10 years, it, I loved it. But it, if I wanted to hunt a lot, it wasn't the best career, you know, being an outfitter for 10 years and, and guiding a bunch. I, you know, I enjoyed it for other, other reasons. I enjoyed guiding or whatever. But another approach a guy can do is he can do, a, you know, a trade or, you know, something that has flexibility and he can go hunting, but he's not going to have the disposable income. Or another guy can go out and do what you did, be an entrepreneur, build up a business and get into hunting that way. I, I actually personally think focusing on those latter two options is probably mm-hmm. the best idea for most people. But I want to hear what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like out outfitting guiding or or even being in the like an industry you know sales rep or or whatever you know working for some big industry corporation um you know you do get some opportunities because of that stuff like you get some perks and you have like really interesting connections but i would think you know the the people that i see hunting the most are are people who have jobs that pay well and have nice flexibility and you know, the, the thing about the, look, the way I look at work, like my job, like I, you know, I enjoy my job, whatever, but 
what really drives me in my job is hunting. Yeah. Like when I go to work every day and it, it's really difficult and there's very difficult things happening and it's like a complete grind a lot of times. It, like hunting is like deep down what fuels me. And sometimes yeah. I look at it like this, like, okay, so I don't enjoy every part of hunting. You know, like let's say, you know, you're glassing for coos deer and 100 degree weather and, and the sun's beating on your freaking exhaust and your eyeballs feel like they're gonna pop out of your head you've been glassing so long like you'd rather stop right but you just keep glassing because that's what you need to do to get the job done and sometimes i i look you know at at work like that like okay this is part of the hunt this is part of the yeah. hunt that's got to happen like i gotta make the money to make this happen and so yeah. like you connect it all and you find motivation that way and like doing very hard things and pushing yourself in the in your professional life extremely hard because it's it's no it, it all connects. Yeah. You sure, can't have sure. one without the without the other. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'll extend it. So cuz I've had this happen to me. A 25-year-old guy comes to you, Alan and he says, "Look, I'll never be able to kill the grand slam because it's going to cost me 200 200 grand, 250 grand to do it." Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you tell a 25-year-old guy that says that to you? Well, I would say you're thinking way too small. Like, that. there's no reason. Like, you're 25 years old. There's no reason why you can't. If that's really what you want to do, you can do it. You just got to put your mind to that. Like, there's yeah. just, like, literally, you, you could, I mean, you can make millions in your life if you, if you decide that's what you want to do. Right. And, but I don't know of a stronger motivator personally because it is my motivator than doing stuff like shooting grand slams yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. so like that's what like makes me it gets me out of bed every morning and makes me just go and maybe take risks and work harder than i should and all these different things because i have that fire and the 25 year old who's saying it's never going to happen well it won't if that's if that's yeah yeah, I, yeah yeah i mean no i think you nailed it man if you if they say that and they've already given into that. And, and 25 is like an arbitrary age. I'm sure yeah. a yeah. guy, 40-year-old guy or whatever. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's a great goal. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, in the next, you know, just be like, okay, in the next decade, I got to somehow figure out how to, you know, how to stuff away a quarter million bucks to do that. And I think okay. that's a goal. I mean, it sounds <laughs> absurd to say it out loud. I'm sure there's listeners yeah. like, these guys are like la-la land, but it's true, man. If you set those type of goals, you'll end up with the ability to do it. I, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, if, if I, if I have a 25 year old guy come to me and say that, and he really wants to, like, I put that guy selling solar. Yeah. He makes that money. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And he has complete flexibility in his schedule. Like, yeah, there's, there are jobs out there that, that really lend themselves toward this and you have to be strategic. It's just like what I was saying, like, Killing a Boone and Crockett animal with a bow isn't just about your hunting ability, although that's important. It's also about how you research and strategize and network and all these different things. That all comes into play in your business life too. Yeah. You have to make good strategic decisions. Yeah. If you decide to be like that you're going to be a blue collar union worker or something and nothing against that, that's you can live obviously very great life. Sure. But if you're saying, I want to kill a Grand Slam sheep, but I'm not going to like 
do anything different and yeah. I'm just then then yeah it doesn't work you have to be strategic and put a plan together that has a chance of working yeah yeah sure yeah yeah no I I I totally I totally agree and I and I guess to some extent Alan it's probably everybody's personality and, and makeup is a little bit different absolutely but but in general I think there's a lot of people that discount their ability to go go on these these type of hunts if they if they have some for some foresight, you know, I'll tell you one way you're not going to go is by putting in for draws. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk coming about down. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the problem, I, I mean, and, and just so the audience knows me and Alan don't know each other, but there, there's going to be like a bunch of agreements in here just that are yeah. popping up. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, comment on it. Comment on the math a little bit. Comment on where it's all going, Alan. And that you, you know, know I, might, I might pop in with my thoughts too. You know, Cliff, I need to write an article on this because it, you, somebody's going to steal my idea here. But just <laughs> you know, yeah, I want to calculate the odds of of drawing a bighorn tag and the money it would take to draw that tag, and the odds of taking that same amount of money and putting it on the roulette table. Yeah, sure. And the odds of winning whatever it is, 10 in a row, that yeah. would give you the amount of money to get that. And I bet you the roulette table wins. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, the, and it's crazy you use that analogy, Alan, because I... Or is it even called... I don't gamble. Is it called a table? It's yeah. Well, the roulette wheel, wheel, wheel or whatever. Or, whatever. or blackjack yeah. or whatever you want. <laughs> you know, so but, one of those close to 50-50 type of, uh, of gambling... Uh, activities because I don't gamble. Sorry, yeah. I sound like a moron here. But, but when my, they got like a little, play the odds out. Your odds are higher taking that. You know, say you'd spend like four thousand dollars putting in for bighorn tags over the next twenty years. Let's yeah. just say, well, take that four thousand dollars, put it on the blackjack table, win ten times in a row. I haven't done the odds, but I bet you anything, it's oh, higher yeah. odds. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I would, I would extend the analogy to say that really what you're doing with a lot of these draws is you're playing in on a roulette table where the house can change the rules five years from now. Well, there's probably, that too. It's probably yeah. going to, you and, know what I mean? And they probably need to. Yeah, oh, yeah. My yeah. kids will never draw a tag. Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah, mean, yeah. you're going to have like in Utah, you're going to have everybody drawing desert sheep and, uh, and bighorn sheep and even moose and mountain goat or whatever. They're all going to be in their seventies and eighties. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going to be the ones drawing the tags, and the kids like are so far behind, and it, it's really a sad system because it's almost like it was it was a good old boys thing. Like, yeah. okay, let's build this system, and first in, we're guaranteed to draw, and yeah. like all the guys literally designing the systems are the ones getting in first. Yeah. And so then all the good old boys draw, and they're like, hey, this doesn't work anymore. Let's change it so that our kids can draw too. <laughs> after we rigged this thing so that we get all these amazing tags, you know, after yeah. 10 or 15 years, we're all guaranteed to draw out. Now let's change it. I mean, I don't know. That that kind of disgusts me when I stop and think about that. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is it has, not to go crazy into this, this whole, Alan, but the problem with it is, is it has a lot of like this gambling like thing uh, built into it because – you know what? You, what do you see on Instagram? What do you see in these magazines? You see all the people that drew. You yeah. know what I mean. So right. you there there you get this weird cognitive thing where you think like, oh, eventually. I mean, even I do it sometimes. I got twenty points in Wyoming or twenty points. 
Montana. And then I'm like, oh, I got to draw. You know, I'm going to draw a bighorn tag soon. And then I actually go calculate the odds. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm still better off just not doing it anymore. You at know what 20 I mean? points. Yeah, exactly. Imagine my 12-year-old at zero. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, and it's literally, you know, I respect like Idaho and New Mexico, these states that don't have that system. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's way better. Yeah. And yeah. the other systems, I, I I can't help but feel like there was some uh, self-interested corruption sort of in, I, I wouldn't, corruption's maybe a strong word, but some self-interest in designing those systems. Yeah, how they how they were developed. And I haven't really thought about that too much, but I see exactly, I, you know, I see how that, that plays out that way. Um, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. It, it's, I think the species that pounded it home for me uh, as a guide was mountain goats. And it hit on a bunch of things that you just talked about, Alan. And that's that in Colorado, it's it's a you know it's a it's a preference point system, but there is a random element into it, whatever. But the ads, the odds basically play out where older people end up with those mountain goat tags. So you you know most yeah. of the guys that draw got you know fifteen, twenty, whatever. And it's and I'm and I'm sitting there thinking to myself like, okay, so you can go on a pay to play mountain goat hunt in British Columbia. For X amount of dollars, I don't know what, probably, you can 15, probably go into Goodwin for 15 grand. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you can do that. So, and you can go when you're 40 years old, or you can go when you're 30 years old or, or whatever. Like, that is so much of a better deal versus waiting till you're 70 years old to crawl up and just, I mean, you've you've hunted mountain goats a lot, yeah. too, uh, probably even, probably more so than I have. I've guided a dozen mountain goat hunts or so, and and it's like it's the hardest physically. You know, yeah. what I mean, like there yeah. there is a like I'm honest with myself. There is in the next thirty years of my life, there will be maybe twenty five years. There will be a point where I will not go mountain goat hunting. Right. Um. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. the first one you lose. And so I think about that, and it's like, man, there are so many people who have waited so long, and they they got snookered. That's how yeah. I feel about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Because now they're not having the the hunt they could have had when they were 35, 40 years old. That's that's really interesting what you're saying, because that when you brought in like the it's almost like, you know, the lottery, like you're advertising like some lucky dog's gonna win it. Yeah. And they're like selling this dream that's yeah, that's very interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. And I don't and I you know, at least my view is I don't know that like I don't even know that that part of it's on purpose, Alan. You know, what I mean, I don't. I you know, I I think it's just. I think it's the hunting world. Obviously, we're gonna you were gonna show all the success and all of that, but it, there it is kind of a hustle, you know. Yeah. That yeah. That, uh, that you know, and, and there, I guess for the audience, what I would say is like, if you're a resident of certain states, it probably sure it still makes sense to. Put well, if, and also if you're talking deer, elk, antelope. Yeah, sure. It's a different, you know, different. Th that's a totally. Then the draw systems make sense, actually. Right. They actually, do make sense. But when you're talking those once in a lifetime species that are literally going to build up to, and, and when you're talking preference points too, like preference points are just yeah. Like I, I don't know how that's fair. I don't know, like if you're an 18 year old paying taxes, how it's fair that a somebody has 30 points ahead of you. Right. And, and you're all paying taxes, right? And like, yeah. okay, how is that? Just because of my age now, I can never draw? It just because this rig system was developed 30 years before I was able to, I don't know, I have a problem with that. 
Well, and, and yeah, no, I get it. I think for me, the problem comes from uh, the fact, Alan, that maybe the information's not real transparent because it, I don't know how it can be because there's a lot of people, you know, putting in as non-residents for points in a lot of these um, states where if you looked at the stats, dude. no way, man. Like, Dude, Utah, for example, Utah, when you're a resident, you have to choose one of the five once in a lifetime species. Okay. You can only put in for one of the five, right? And even then, even though now you've increased your odds. So like I follow desert sheep in Utah and I have 22 points. So luckily I don't have, you know, four fifths of the people were following moose, bighorn, goat, bison. So four fifths of the people had put their odds somewhere else. Luckily, because if they were all getting desert sheep points, then I would have five times as many people in that pool. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. But but Cliff, for the non-residents, they did them a huge favor. They said, you can put in for all five. Amazingly, you get charged for all five. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think that anybody's ever going to draw those tags and they give a fraction of them to non-residents? Yeah. And now you have all, and like any non-resident putting in for Utah, I'm sorry, guys, that is not going to work out. Yeah, you're, you're you're making donations. No, it's it's not going to work out. Like it's <laughs> and you're going to see the dude on Instagram that drew. Yeah, and yeah. it's going to give you hope, but it's a false hope. Go get an awesome job, make a bunch of money, and go hunting. Yeah, yeah that's no, the I, American yeah. dream. The American dream isn't winning a drawing. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you. And let's uh, let's jump into that, man, because I all that stuff's super good points. But I think we can jump in, like, put all this yeah. into a positive light so alan what's like the so a guy's got to have some disposable income and you know however he's gonna he's gonna get that there's lots of options for people who figure that out that's for other podcasts to talk about yeah. i guess but um that what's like the 80 like if you're trying to go on the best hunts and and uh it could be the you know the biggest animals like your focus is or it could just be you know just epic adventure opportunities you know stone sheep in northern british columbia or whatever a guy wants to go on What's the like the 80-20, if you're familiar with that concept, what's the 80-20 of figuring out like the best, where's the best bang for your bet your your um buck in yeah. terms of where what do you focus on to make sure you're going on the best hunts? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, you know, that that's that's one thing I think it's really important too. Like you don't necessarily need to make ridiculous amounts of money to hunt high quality animals. Right. Like for example, you know, whitetail. Like I love hunting big whitetail bucks, huge whitetail bucks. Like I want to be in an area where they're there. It's never, whitetail hunting is very difficult. Like as sure. a Western guy, I don't know how much of you, I'm, I'm addicted to whitetail I've, hunting. I've done very little of it, Alan. Just, you know. It's, it is, it gets very addicting because it's, it's like chess with these bucks. And, and anyway, yeah. the point is like, you know, I spend, quite a bit of like like in the whitetail world like i spend what's considered to be quite a bit of money on whitetail hunting but compared to a stone sheep and that's yeah, yeah sure and i can hunt as much as i want yeah right? and yeah. so and i'm hunting monster bucks and so like you know the stone sheep's gonna cost you 60 grand and you get 12 days okay right. that's not a good bang for your buck yeah yeah now, of course if you have that money great go do it yeah. But if you just want to like, okay, like I, you know, 
whatever. I, I live in some state and I'm trying to hunt public land for whitetail and it's just so hard. And the average age is like three, you know, the, and it's like really, really tough. Okay. Well, there's options to like, to have a better time, you know, and, and, and maybe again, if you like hunting big animals, right. Um, yeah. you know, mountain hunting, let's look at that, for example. So like you have your sheep, which are astronomically priced, and then you have your mountain goat in the middle, but then you have Colorado mule deer and even over the counter, Alaska Sitka blacktail deer. Yeah. That you can go, like, if you go down to Southeast Alaska onto the islands and backpack into the Alpine, like, you can do that whole thing, flight and everything for like 2,500 bucks. Yeah. It's an over the counter tag. And yeah. you're backpacking in country that is identical to coastal mountain back mountain goat country sure and you're getting that full like alaskan adventure and like i did it on my own and shot a boone and crockett uh sitka blacktail in fact when i shot it, it was the it was the velvet world record yeah and i did it on my own i just i just called around to charter companies found one that would fly me in i looked on maps i found some alpine i said land me in this lake i'm gonna hike up to that alpine and see what i can find and i did it year after year until i shot a giant and yeah. that experience, that backpacking experience was every bit as cool as sheep or goat. Yeah, it's 2500 sure. $2, bucks, including commercial and charter flights. Yeah. And so, I I guess, so like there's some incredible opportunities out there. Yeah. And you know what's funny about this, uh, Alan? So I've, I'm trying to keep all – every time you talk, man, I end up with a bunch of like follow-on questions I have. Okay. And I, I want to I, I'm, I'm I wanna hit on – with you exactly how you research, research these opportunities, like where the best spot is to find the, you know, like how did you know that that area could produce a world-class Sitka blacktail? So we'll, we'll go there in a minute, but before we, before we do that, uh, this is a really interesting topic to me because I feel like it changes like over the years, the real opportunities, like the, yeah, like if you, I always use the analogy I, I used to work in finance in my younger my younger years. I always use the stock analogy. Like, where's the undervalued stock, right? And so yeah. I always think, like, where's the undervalued hunt in the hunting world, right? Because it always changes. You know, like yeah. there there's some there like 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 right now, mule deer free range. You know, true free range mountain mule deer. It's get it's getting big ones are getting expensive. Like it's getting up there. Like you know, but there's other opportunities. How, do you notice the same thing? It always changes. Yeah. And, and also like the, the areas change and there's, yeah. there's die offs and there's, and there's, you know, new things opened up and you have to pay attention. Um, yeah, for sure. There there's, you know, desert, desert sheep's a good example. You know, I mentioned, I have desert sheep points in utah oh i would trade those in a heartbeat for bighorn points yeah. but when i started putting in 22 years ago desert sheep looked like they were just going to go to the moon in price yeah and now the the bottom has fallen out yeah. on the price of desert sheep hunts because unlimited habitat privately owned habitat in mexico yeah. and so yeah. and there's like a, a mysterious thought? influx in supply on desert sheep well, and you know, we yeah, know yeah. what's going on there, but it's yeah, okay. Yeah. Like whatever, yeah, like, yeah, whatever. Breeding and you know, I mean, 
hopefully hopefully some of it's still legit and you can find a legit hunt but it's what it's doing is causing the price to come down we're going to see desert sheep hunts be cheaper than doll sheep hunts yeah sure we will see that and it's almost there but we will see it because those trends doll sheep are continuing to skyrocket and desert sheep are continuing to stabilize and maybe even drop a little and so and who would have thought when you know that desert sheep would go from seventy thousand dollars to forty thousand dollars right you know, and maybe those aren't the exact numbers and maybe I'm not comparing the exact yeah, yeah. tags, but something like that is happening. And so there are, there are opportunities like that, you know, and whitetail, you know, the, the management continues to get better and better and more and more places are getting leased up, which yeah. is improving the quality everywhere. Because now when somebody's paying for a lease, instead of letting all their buddies hunt there, like the age class is going up. And so yeah. now like you can, you can get into good whitetail property more easily than ever before, you know, yeah. cause there's more of it because every, yeah. your neighbors are managed now, you know, and mule deer, you know, they say the heyday was the sixties or whatever. And it's just, it'll probably never be the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunately they're sensitive animal and they're sensitive to different changes in, in urban sprawl and different things that whitetail are more resilient. And so you're going to see, Unfortunately, we're going to see mule deer hunting get more and more difficult. Yeah, and, uh, J- just because really the, the biology of the animal to some extent, right. it's just more right. sensitive. Yeah, and and and, they, the, and and it's not where where whitetail um, is expanding, mule deer is contracting, and then you know where whitetail is so private land based. Yeah, it's in mule deer. Not, I mean, uh, there are of course, but mule deer is more of a public land. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. And so yeah, like, then you have like all these other factors, right? Yeah. And, and so, uh, it, it's crazy interesting. Cause what this means is I see a lot of hunters who they, I mean, they, I mean, they'll, they'll, they want to book a mule deer hunt on X spot, like four years ahead of time, five years ahead of time. And the first thing that rings in my head is like, wow, like that area could completely change you know, right. four or five years, like, yeah. you, and, and what you find is at least what I find, Alan, tell me if you have a different opinion, but what I find is there's always a lag, you, like a species, like a, a hunt, you know, a specific uh, hunt for a species in a certain area. It, it'll be like the new hot thing. And then before it kind of, kind of peters out, it'll, it'll be a few years of everybody being like, Oh, the hunting's like gone downhill hunting's gone, but it takes like five years for the word to get out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know? So one of the tricks that that I think obviously you've been good at, man, is you're spending a lot of time researching and you, you keep mentioning like networking. When you say networking, are you talking to guides and outfitters other you know other hunters in these areas what does that actually look like yeah you know you you talk to as many people as you can as you're doing your research on a species and i i i I kind of focus in on a species like a few at a time and so then i i really go down the rabbit hole on on that animal and you know where they are where the biggest ones are a huge a huge resource is uh, the record book databases. So both Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett have membership record database um, access. So like Boone and Crockett, I pay 50 bucks a year for trophy search. And you literally can search unbelievable amounts of data. And of course, the newer data is more relevant. You know, you look, if you look historically, you know, 
at, you know, pick a species, but you look historically and it may be something different 50 years ago where a lot of booners were being killed compared to today. So you look in the most recent records and there's just a ton of information there. I spent a lot of time going through those databases. Same thing with Pope and Young. That yep. You can do a, a, you know, a membership to their paid database and get access to every piece of data they have on every Pope and Young animal that's ever been entered. And it is, it's extremely valuable. And then from there, you start talking to outfitters and you start talking to people who have been with different outfitters and, and you start, you start getting information. You start, I, I have in, in the notes section on my phone, I have a notebook for every species and every single time I hear anything any little hint, any little piece of, oh, that's an interesting piece of information. I open that notebook and I go to whatever it is, Central Barren Ground Caribou. And I enter that, you know, they, somebody said this was an incredible hunt at this camp. Yeah. Yeah. In that's this a, month. Yeah, whatever. Good, yeah. 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 And as much detail as you have, it all, it all yep. matters. And it's um, amazing. Like you think you'll remember it. When I open up those species, I'm like, wow, I totally forgot about yeah. these little <laughs> data points. This is really helpful. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that kind of leads me to this. The one thing cool about your quest, from my perspective, is I've heard you talk about um, the fact that you will spend, you know, X amount of hunts chasing a specific species. And the way I view that is it's cool because you must be learning a ton about that specific species uh, oh, before man. you before you kill it like you 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 have it's the... so cool you become an expert on that species in most cases yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. you get lucky like my bison for example i got extremely lucky it killed the state record on my first hunt i mean yeah. it was just like in whatever so i'm not an expert on bison yeah you missed out on being an expert on yeah bison. because yeah. i didn't have to go back five ten times right yeah yeah but you know I, i'll take it yeah <laughs> no i got it. yeah no no complaints you don't want to be yeah. but but it just the thing is that I notice about honey, and this is I, I like I talked about some of the positive things that I got out of guiding and outfitting. Is there were specific species and specific areas and stuff like that that I I very much felt like an expert on because yeah. I gotta iterate. I gotta iterate on it all the time. I gotta hunt the same species in the same areas, the same times. I think for people out there that that uh, are you know just hunting, you know. Uh, a week a year or 10 days a year it's not a bad thing there's people everybody's got a different lifestyle but you can't you can't expect that you're going to become an expert you know uh wilderness elk hunter if you're hunting five days a year and you've been at it for 10 years i hear that a lot like guys will say man yeah. i've been at it for 10 years and i just still don't know what i'm doing it's like you don't know what you're doing right, because because yeah. if you went and it's not, I'm not like, you're still, you, there's so much to learn. And I still have more to learn too. But if you went and hunted elk for two months straight, just one time, you get, you get pretty damn good yeah. at it because you're able to iterate on it. Do, do you feel any different about that? Or you got thoughts on that? No, I, I totally agree. I do think that like when I say that I can become an expert on a species, I mean, that it's probably, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be like somebody who does it for a living. Yeah, yeah, no, right? yeah, but, I, I get it, yeah. But I, I, I do think, too, that your general hunting ability helps you adapt. So, like, let's take Sitka Blacktail as an example. Yeah, you I get went crossover. Three, I went three years. Like, what's that? You, you, it's not like you get crossover between the species. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I went for three years 
Sitka blacktail hunting before I killed the buck I was after. And I hunted a total, I think it was 35, 36 days. So in 35, 36 days, I'm probably not the world's expert on Sitka blacktail. But yeah, I mean, I looked over three, I looked over and judged 350 different bucks in those three years, I, you know, roughly. And yeah. all of my mountain hunting experience from many, many years of mountain goat, sheep, and mule deer hunting and elk hunting have came into play where like I'm, I'm backpack hunting in the Alpine. Like I know how this works. Sure. And then like, I'm judging deer. Like I'm, I, I've hunted mule deer for 25 years too. So I like that all kind of plays in. And so like the whole picture comes in and yeah, I'm pretty much an expert on sick of black tail deer. Now, am yeah. I as good as somebody who guides for six weeks a year for the last 20 years? No, of course not. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but, 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 you, but generally, I would say it's pretty high level of understanding on that species, way higher level than if I had, again, nothing, I don't have anything against this for, like, if you want to do this, that's your thing, and it's cool. Yeah. But for me, to just go and shoot a Sitka blacktail and check the box, I got that species, and I mean, literally, I could do that in two days, you know, yeah. buy yeah, a ticket, yeah. fly out there, hike in and shoot one and hike out, like, that would be it. I would know nothing about that animal. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and so you and it's it's just fun to learn about them. I think, man, it's so fun. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing. Like, like people are telling me, like, so this guy got to blacktail camp here last night, or last night I was talking to him. He just got here, and he's like, he says these blacktail are are kind of dim witted compared to whitetail, and I'm like, bro, you don't understand these blacktail. I he's like, what do you mean? He's like, like I'm in my stand, and these does they don't get spooky. Like if I you know, crinkle a piece of paper or something. They don't even look up at me and whitetail would be freaking out. I'm like, yeah, they're not as jumpy as whitetail. But when you're hunting a mature blacktail buck, a Boone and Crockett blacktail buck, I'm telling you what, that buck never makes mistakes. He's ever. like a goat. Like a goat. If, if he comes in, he might not be jumpy. But dude, he ain't coming in. Yeah, yeah. They are yeah, so yeah. strategic. Like the, if, I, if I have a Boone and Crockett... Like or a, a giant seven-year-old whitetail and a giant seven-year-old blacktail, I feel more comfortable killing that whitetail. That yeah. whitetail is going to show himself on a red moon in a, in a cold front, like like pretty dang, I'm going to kill that buck. These yeah. blacktail, they don't make those mistakes. They eventually, obviously, you kill them. They, they can. But so they're different. The fact that the whitetail is way more jumpy and, and um, alert inside a bow range doesn't mean it's easier to kill. Yeah. Or doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean it's harder to kill. Excuse me. The yeah, blacktail yeah. is way less, has way less acute senses, but he's way more strategic and he just doesn't make the same mistakes. So yeah. like the, the animals are so different. And like, if I hadn't been hunting these things for, you know, I mean, it, whatever, I'm pushing 30 days this year hunting these blacktail. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, people are like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's been a freaking blast. But, yeah, yeah. but the point is like, these animals are just so different and it's so cool. So cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it. I'm totally with you. And like, I used to, the, I used to when I was, I have eight or nine years ago, and somebody would ask me about mountain goats, I would naively say they're dumb. Well, what I realized over over hunting them is they're not necessarily dumb. They're different. They're yeah. they're, they're are, are they dumb if you're shooting with a gun? Yeah, yeah. They're easier to mm -hmm. kill with a gun. It's because they've developed a way of avoiding predators that's like get on the steepest rock possible or something right. can't get me that, you know, they're not, not like all of them are just, but if you're a mountain like lion or a bow hunter, that's a yeah. pretty good defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, 
so yeah, they're all different. And I think, uh, I think your, your approach to it is you get the value of that, man. Like you get to learn about these species. And I, 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 I think in my journey, that's why I've guided a lot of different species. It, 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 it was just because I wanted to learn about that species. And it was the way that in my little path, I was able to get exposed to it for a long, you know, a long period of time where I was able to, able to iterate on it. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. And learn. It's, it's, learn it's, it's an amazing thing to learn the differences, you know, like, like, for example, you know, the, the, so many animals, like when, when they, when they feel pressure, they hide. Yeah. Well, mountain goat, when it feels pressure, it goes into steep rocks and antelope, when it feels pressure, it gets distance. Like they don't all hide. Right. No. Yeah, yeah. So they, they they just react. It's so cool that the, how different each species is. Yeah, sure. And you get that experience when you're able to spend spend some time with them. And I, it's it's funny too, man, because I I noticed what what I've noticed over the years is when I'm around somebody who has been very very you know specifically species focused, which which I envy those people. I think to some extent they have like a longer attention span than I do. But somebody who's just, you know, guided doll sheep their whole life or, or, you know, those sort of things. When you're around somebody like that, you realize they know a bunch of stuff that they can't even, they almost can't verbalize. You know yes. what I mean? You know, they, they, they can't, uh, they can't verbalize. And um, th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this, we're going to talk about jujitsu here. Uh, and I know, I know, I know you've been waiting to talk about jujitsu. <laughs> I have too. And this is where I'm going to connect it, man, because I feel like, if I get around these guys that know a species really well, they're like a phenomenal hunting training partner. And yeah. uh, Alan and I both both do jujitsu. We were talking about it before before the uh, um, podcast. And one thing for me and my progression in that martial art is I have noticed when I get in spots where I'm around where I have like two or three phenomenal training partners, my knowledge and experience I get like these big bumps in um in my capabilities do you right. do you, you think right. that's a decent analogy oh it's, a, it's brilliant yeah <laughs> i mean no really if if you're hunting with people who really know the game like you 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 just you just absorb information like i've gotten so much information from all of the seasoned guides that i've hunted with and 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 my hunting partners that are that are you know, I've been doing it for 20, 30 years. Like those guys, that's where, that's really where you learn. I mean, you learn from the animals, but it helps too, to have somebody point out to you their observations and you do it together. You bounce things off each other, just like in jujitsu. Yeah. 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 You know, exactly. well, have you tried the grip this way? Oh man, no, I hadn't. That's, that's a good point when you, whatever, you know, that's. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I think, uh, I, you know, I guess, one one thought I have on that for for the listeners, if they're going on guided hunts, h- how do you how do you get in a position where where you're going on a guided hunt, but part of it is is you is trying to make it clear to the guide or the outfitter you're going with, like, hey, I'm here, I wanna, I, yeah, I wanna get put into great opportunities, but I also want to learn a lot about you know the species and what you guys are doing. H- how does a guy approach that, Alan? Well, I, I don't think you need to announce it. I think you just need to ask questions. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think weird. that, in fact, if you, if you announce it, it almost might like. Make it weird. It might. Yeah. But if yeah, you just yeah. said, you know, like, 
whatever, if, you know, what, you know, what do you think that buck scores? And the guy's like, ah, oh, I think he scores 165. And you're like, okay, walk me through that. Cause like, here's what I'm seeing. And like, whatever, just try to have conversations, yeah, be yeah. friendly. And like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, also too, like, you know, really like trust your guide. Yeah. Trust your guide and show your guide that you trust them. It goes a long ways to like, if the guide feels like you're trying to second guess them or that you, you like, it's just, I mean, it's bad karma. First of all, to go on a guided hunt and try to guide the guide. Like that's, yeah. it's just, it's annoying. And even if you do, like maybe you have one little thing that might be better. Like who cares? Just go with the flow. You know I mean? And, and if you do have an idea, present it as an idea. It's like, here's yeah. an idea. And then if they say no, say, cool, that's great. You know, yeah. like these guides, like I mean, this is what they do every day, you know? And yeah. like, I, I don't know, like, anyway, I, I cut off subject there a little bit. No, no, but. no. I think, I think, I think it's a good point, Alan, because uh, and it'll be valuable for folks that are going on guided hunts. There's an interpersonal thing. And I think most, most guides, if they feel like, if they feel like um, there's a little pressure from the hunter or something back at them and maybe. they don't trust yeah. them, they, yeah. they, they tend to shut down. It's not that they, they quit doing their job, but they, tw they can't, they, they tend to be a little bit less transparent about what they're doing and it, it, it hinders the process. So I think, I think your approach is, is a correct one, man, is that, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm notorious for it. I was actually last few days I've been, um, um, helping Jay Scott scout for desert sheep for a honey's gotten three or four days. And I always do it with vegetation. You know, we'll be glass and sheep. I'm like, Jay, what is that they're eating? Like, I want to know what that, you know, I, that like, and that's just like, and, and one, it just interests me. I'm a, I'm a plant dork. Um, but he never, he never minds, you know, and, and that is a, is an example. Like he doesn't mind answering those questions. And it's not like, you know, it'd be different if I was like, Jay, I'm, I'm here to help you. But today I, I want you to tell me every plant we walk by. I, that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a great, great point. Yeah. There, there's so many opportunities to learn. And, you know, sometimes too, like, man, there's so much bad information on social media. Yeah. Like a lot of the, you know, influencer, whatever people are not qualified to be teaching people. Sure. And they're, re they're a lot of them are attempting to regurgitate information they heard somewhere else. And man, you know, people say like, who should I follow? Who should I listen to? And I always say, you can't go wrong listening to guides. Yeah. These guys are professionals. Like there's very, very few guides out there that, I mean, if they've been doing it for, you know, 10 plus years that there's very, very few of those guys that you're not going to learn a ton from. So yeah. yeah, as much as you can, and they're not going to have a lot of followers. And, and then one of the problem is a lot of those guys don't post much. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's anyway. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, Alan, th there's a few, you know, I just know my little space in, in Colorado and I, I know several guys that, you know, I was blessed to, to spend time with and hunt with and they're great guys who they've guided, you know, 65, you know, 75 successful bighorn sheep hunts and nobody knows who they are right and they don't care <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean they don't they don't care um and uh to be honest a lot of them probably wouldn't be phenomenal teachers but they, but their knowledge is like incredible 
you know what I mean? And I uh, I, I'm with you, man. It, it's it in some ways. A lot of times, I think to myself, like you know, not to take away anybody that you know has a big following and and, and does that, but um, I do think that that they're the real it, hunting's weird, man. Because even if you're going after trophies, um, there's not like an official scoreboard. It's not you know guides or hunters there's no nobody knows who the michael jordan is nobody knows who the you know because we're all it's such a broad it's such a broad like endeavor that that's kind of unknown so it's hard so many different ways to track results you know like yeah a guide for example maybe making it all happen but the animal doesn't go in the record books under his name right sure unfortunately right yeah i mean it's just so like in basketball Let's say you mentioned Michael Jordan. Like, if somebody's on Instagram claiming to be the best basketball player in the world, you'd say, "Okay, well, well let's see his stats." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, you're yeah, claiming yeah. to be LeBron James. Well, you better have that number of rings, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's sure, just sure. anyway. Yeah, that's that's um that's one real problem in certain in certain activities is um, self promotion. Uh, can can many times make somebody look like an expert and there's no way to check their story yeah yeah which which i guess in the end it, it doesn't matter other than just every people everybody people need to realize like it's a new the hunting world is a nuanced world and you got to yeah. figure out like you got to do your own sifting of mm-hmm. the information that's that's told you i think that's well you know for example jay um he's one of the guys out there who is a freaking legitimate guide hunter, like no tons of knowledge and he's active on social media. Yeah. It's actually not, not a incredibly common thing. Right. Limited instances of that. Yeah. I I think, I I think Jay's a great example of that as, as you point out, I think sometimes there's not a lot of instances of that, you know, I'm sure like in your guys outfitting business, uh, up in BC, you had guides that were phenomenal hunters and yeah. they don't have like, there's, there's some functional issues, right? Like they may, they they're focused on that. They've been focused on that since they're 18 years old. They haven't developed phenomenal communication skills. They technology skills might not, they may not have internet nine months of the year. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's hard to, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, um, there's some functional reasons why they may not be out there, but uh, no, I hear you, and I think it's I think it's important that people, um, you know, do uh, do realize that. And, and on that on that topic, you know, if there was if there was a couple things that you know somebody that was really interested in the you know the skill set of becoming a better a better hunter, just in general, Alan, what what would be a couple things that you'd tell them to to focus on? I mean, I, I think it's just, just time. Yeah. Time field. Like, yeah. I don't know. Definitely, you know, rubbing shoulders with people who know can make a huge difference though. Yeah. You know, like, man, some of those boys, like when you, when you glass with like, I, I've glassed before with like a couple of the uh, Wade Lemon boys for Mule Deer. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I thought I could glass. And those guys, man, it's like, holy smokes. These guys are good. Like, and so then it raises your level. You're like, okay, there's another level here that I need to shoot for. Like it is, you know, and, and so I think that, uh, being around people that raise the bar is, is always good. Yeah. 
So I, I, uh, I totally, I totally agree, man. Um, and I was in that, that's when I, I, I think is, is, is it's hard in the hunting world. Like you got to kind of, you're going to have to, you have to work to try to get some people that you hunt with that, uh, that you can learn from. And it's like anything it's, you gotta, you, that just takes time to, to yeah. find out who those people are and, yeah. and all of, all of that. But, um, you know, I, uh, one of the questions, it's interesting because it's in this whole social media spectrum. Um, and you do a lot of backpack hunts and long duration hunts kind of on that, uh, on that last question there, are there, do you focus on like your physical fitness, Alan? Are there particular things that you do in that regard or you just, you just stay in good shape? Yeah. Um, so I used to, I used to do a lot of training before sheep season. Yeah. You know, I would, and I, I'm not a gym guy. I don't like, I don't like weightlifting. I'm not like, I do a little bit of it just to try to have some general like strength, but like I'm not, I'm not huge in the, but I'm talking, I would trail run and, and backpack and put in a lot of scouting work in the Wasatch mountains in Utah for muleys to, to on purpose, like extra to be ready for my sheep hunt. Right. Um, but I will say that my body over the years, like even as I've gotten older has just become more and more adapted to mountain work. Yeah. And like, I can just pick it up now without a lot um, to last summer, um, summer of 21, I went on a huge doll sheep hunt in the Yukon that was like, uh, like massive miles, all self-sustained backpacking. Like we did, I, I kept track of it on my Garmin watch 75. We did 75 miles over mountains with our packs, um, over the course of two weeks. And it was like, it was big, like, like, I mean, people may say 75 miles isn't very much. It's not, that's not, if you're on a trail, 75 miles is nothing. But when you're bushwhacking in country that, that doesn't have trails and it's very, very steep and you're crossing valleys and rivers and everything else and traversing peaks, like it's not, it's a lot. And all I did before that hunt was jujitsu. Yeah. And I felt great. I felt great. So that to me was a nice, I was testing that. I'm like, okay, I'm in awesome shape right now. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do any running or, or hiking. I'm just going to go and see what happens. I did feel a little bit of tiredness in my legs at times. Yeah, I think it was a little bit more than, than when I had put in that specific work. Yeah. But it was totally manageable. And, you know, I had a 28 year old guy that um, claimed I was the, the, you know, in all of his years of guiding uh, the best in shape clan he'd, he'd ever had so um so yeah th- i think that works too yeah and i do have, I you, tried, have you tested that yeah so so i got i i got a i mean it's i don't want this to be a commercial on jujitsu because i think this is going to apply to like other athletic endeavors that people can do as hobbies like all year because i'm the same yeah athlete. maybe I, maybe I, like it applies at like 50 percent if we're comparing it to jujitsu let's be honest yeah yeah but, <laughs> Okay, so jujitsu is unique, and and I noticed it because when I started uh, doing jujitsu like six or seven years ago, I was guiding a lot of backpack hunts, and I'm a I'm kind of a tall, lengthy, skinny guy, and I was always in good shape. Like my wife's an ultra marathon runner, like I always ran with her, and, and like I stayed in what would be considered good shape. But the thing I know, I always had like back pain always when I was backpack hunting, and and I. 
you know, I never felt like I was in phenomenal shape. When I started doing jujitsu and I developed a core, you know, because if yeah. you do jujitsu very long, and, and I'm sure it applies to a bunch of other sports to you guys. So, but if once you develop a core, to me, it it changes the world of backpack hunting. That's yeah, my thought. You can handle that pack. Yeah. yeah, you can handle that pack. And I think I think there's like little things about it that you don't even realize that that packs make if you don't if you don't have a good core that that pack is wearing on you a lot more than you think. And so for me, jujitsu in particular built that up for me. And then the other thing is that it, you know how I mean it you get kind of like a mini CrossFit workout in most jujitsu gyms because you're always going to peak your cardio if they're sparring at all. So yeah. so to me it's optimal or it, it I don't know if it's the perfect but it's pretty darn close to it to prep for these hunts because you, you're able to you build up your cardio and that core strength. That's yeah. my view on. So yeah, so um, I think it's a great a great use of time. But the other thing it does for you, man, is what you hit on is I'm not a gym guy either. I wouldn't. There's no way I could spend the amount of time um, staying in shape if I didn't have another hobby that overlapped in that yeah. regard. Yeah. Um, and I noticed too from from guiding in, in uh, that the the guys that were in the best shape that I guided generally had another hobby that was physical they, they were like phenomenal tennis players or they were phenomenal you know something else um that kept them in good shape you know it's there's there's something about like doing something you love to stay in shape like yeah. like you know going to the gym i hate like i hate yeah. i have to talk myself into it like i have to drink a pre-workout to even want to get in the car yeah. right like, I, you know, like it's, I just don't like it, but I, you know, when I know I'm training the next morning for jujitsu, I have a hard time going to sleep at night. I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't yeah, stop sure. thinking about who am I going to roll with and what am I going to do? Like, it's so exciting, like to, so finding something, you know, whether it's like a basketball league or whatever, I don't know, like something that you can really kind of be excited about and even measure and compete and have success with success with makes it so fun i i don't know i think that's one thing jujitsu is so addicting and so i think that just helps us stay in better shape because we want to be there yeah yeah no i totally agree and you know that that sport in particular is available to most people if you got yeah. if you got some population around where you live there's probably a jujitsu gym so um yeah. i'm sure you're the same way alan like every every guy i talk to i, I say Dude, you really you really should even if the guy's 55 years old you know oh, yeah yeah. Um, so it's, uh, there's a lot of crossover and, and all sorts of thing. And we could talk, I'm sure we could talk about it forever. Cause I mean, that particular, there's so many, I mean, I think when you fall in love with certain things, if it's hunting or, you know, you know, or jujitsu, you find analogies in it, right? You find mm -hmm. analogies to other aspects of your life. And that's why to me, there's like a thousand analogies between jujitsu and hunting. Um, but we might, I might bore you in the in the audience if i went down that oh path. you won't bore me <laughs> but yeah I... but um alan is there anything else you want to you want to hit on man I, it's been it's been a joy chatting with you yeah it's been really fun i i don't know i don't think so i, I okay we, we, cool, we talked about some cool stuff i think so i mean we, we we definitely have other things we could we could uh, get into on a different day yeah yeah no sounds good alan thanks for uh coming on man where, where can people follow you uh, Instagram, it's just Alan Bolin. All okay. Word. So 
Yeah. Perfect. I, I haven't been too active lately. I haven't posted in a couple months, but whatever. I'll, I'll, I go in spurts. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. So uh, guys out there, if you want to follow, follow Alan, uh, get on his Instagram account. Thanks, man. Okay. Thanks, Cliff. See ya. I really enjoyed interviewing Alan. He's a really interesting guy, has a lot to offer, and he does a certain type of hunting that's fairly unique. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep in touch with me, you can follow me on my YouTube channel. Just go on there and search for Cliff Gray. You can also get on my newsletter at PursuitWithCliff.com or follow me on Instagram at CliffGRY. Thanks.